Crouch. Bind. Set. Joe presents the House of Rugby, Season 3. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby, whether you're watching or listening. It's great to have your company. And after a very all English affair last week, we've decided to go a little bit more Celtic again this week. Delighted to have Ken Owens making his first appearance on the programme alongside uh, John Davis, who's back for more. Uh, guys, I'm looking forward to this one because you two obviously know each other pretty well. Uh, Ken, how are you? Yeah, all good. Not too bad. John obviously had a day off today, which, uh, you know, when you're a ninja club, you don't get days off. So missed him today. So it's nice to catch up. Well, it's nice to have the sheriff, <laughs> the sheriff along to say hello, like, um, boy. Um, yeah, no, it's good to have you on. And yeah, good to be back on you again. Yeah, so we, we've had this theme that just about everybody who's been on has been injured. And even when John thought he was injured, he seemed to then turn up and play 18 minutes. We actually haven't spoken to you, John, since that you, you're either a very good, uh, you've got a very good poker face or that was a surprise to you. Because the last time we spoke, you were injured. Fast forward yeah. five days, you basically, you put in 18 minutes for Wales. Yeah, well, I was told that I wasn't playing. Um, and then obviously I did fitness, uh, the rest of the week with Wales. And then on the Friday lunchtime, Johnny pulls up in the captain's run and then I'm told I'm playing. And thankfully I was fit and, um, yeah, just about got 80 minutes. But yeah, it was totally unexpected. And, um, I got to say, there was a lot of revision doing on Friday afternoon when I told her I was playing because I didn't have a clue what moves we were running and stuff. So. Yeah, it was it was good to get a game back, and um, yeah, thankfully it was all good to go. Ken, how's your injury? Because I was, um, we did BBC together for the Wales Scotland Six Nations match, and you were getting a bit uh, fed up of being a spectator by that point. So I can't imagine that's got any better. No, it hasn't. So no, I'm about uh, eight and a half weeks post-op now. So get a couple of days off over Christmas, which I'm looking forward to. First time in a while, and then uh, yeah, back playing in the new year. Uh, so now we're all on track. Rehab's gone really well, thankfully, and um, now I'm a good player, so looking forward to get back out there. He's a full-time pundit. All I see him now is his smart coats on a, on a game day and um, you know, well, commentating on our games. Well, my f- the worst thing was, for that, you're going on about Foxy's injury and oh, lack of an injury and being back uh, <laughs> back to play 80 minutes. My, my whole pre-match piece that I'd done worked all week on was uh, an analysis run on uh, Johnny Williams and how great he's been the autumn <laughs> and how he's prepared and I, he just ruined my whole pre-match so the only good thing to be fair I did find he did tell me the, the night before which he got a bit sketchy about because obviously I was uh, in, in the media so I had to, I had to keep it quiet from, <laughs> from our producer as well and luckily, you were on I, the dark I, side were you? I was so but I, I, luckily enough I managed to get a a Toby Falata where VT done pretty quick. <laughs> I said, "Can you check uh, this together?" And I'll, I'll I'll explain tomorrow, just in case something happens. I've I've heard that uh, someone's injured, so I proved my worth as not being a leak. I'm not a leak anyway. But that's the thing. You all talk about the dark side, but when an injury comes along, you're all there. John, you've done BBC Six Nations <laughs> yeah, as well, so you can't I know, talk. I know. Yeah. <laughs> It's the only way of getting tickets to the game these days because the yeah. boys won't give you a ticket. So it's, it's, it's getting to the game for free. I couldn't believe it. I had um, Jack Knoll and Charles Pieta was my guest at Clermont at the weekend. And Jack came to Bristol and I was thinking, well, this is great. You know, he's not even talking about his own club and he must really want to do it. Turned on BT the next day, he was doing them as well. So he had a double bubble this weekend. So he's been raking it in. Double dip day. He's double dip day. He's quite good for him. <laughs> I'm just loyal to West 4 am. Do you know what? I, I met that match that we did, the Wales-Scotland match. I met Shane Williams there and I said to Shane, um, it's a shame you can't do, or you, you're doing the Autumn Nations Cup for Channel 4. And he said, no, I'm doing S4C. So I said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, I'm doing S4C. I couldn't do Channel 4. So I then speak to the guys at Channel 4 and they're like, yeah, we've got Shane in commentary. And I was like, well, he thinks he's doing S4C. And then he turned up. And thankfully by that, when he saw me, he was like, we better do this in English. And then he wrote in his column the next day in the rugby paper, it was great to work for ITV at the weekend. So at no point, oh. <laughs> at no point did he have a clue Basically, who he was talking to or what channel he was on. No allegiance <laughs> whatsoever for Shane. No allegiance. No, no loyalty to the cause. That's, that's what um, our Welsh boys are like. We're not, uh, we're mercenaries with us yeah. Welsh boys. As long as someone's yeah. paying, they're, we're there. <laughs> 
And on that, you've even got a beer named after you, I'm told, Ken. Yeah, I have. Um, the merch uh, is local, coming out. Yeah, a local uh, brewery down in West Wales is... Um, so I'm the third rugby player they've named uh, an ale after. Okay. Uh, so mine yeah, goes down do. better than theirs. Uh, so uh, George North has got one. Uh, Alan Wynne Jones has got one. Oh, sorry, and they did name one after Warren Gatland as well. So I'm the fourth, sorry. Uh, but mine's by far the, the best taste in the sheriff. So, uh, yeah, the Tenby Harbour Brewery Company. Um, he's hoarding all the bottles for himself, though, because he wants to drink them all and say he's uh, not giving any out to the boys. Uh, did I bring a couple of slabs in the training this week for you to, to try? You were teasing all off? the boys. You were, like, waving in front of us, like, you can't have this. But no, I was... Um, our fair play, like... Um, it, it, it looks good, i got to say. Hopefully I get to try some at some point. That's what everyone's getting for Christmas then, is it? Uh, John, yeah, do you have anything named after you? Um, well, the only thing i got named after me is a burger in um, the pub I was brought up in when I was a kid, in the Fox and Hounds. Yeah. So that's where the nickname comes. So I've got I've got a burger, um, the Fox Burger, which is um, which very isn't delicious. The meat, it's just the title. Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. That's uh, quite funny. <laughs> But my brother got named one as well, and he was the vegetarian version, and he was devastated with that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, only only a burger for me. But um, you know, hopefully, I might get an ale at some point if um, any brewery wants to, you know, jump on the bandwagon. Did Sam Warburton not get like bread and like bread rolls and things named after him, or did a, a deal? But it wasn't actually with Warburtons; it was with somebody else. Yeah, yeah I think I think braces was it. Braces, Ken, I think. Bread, no, that's wrong. Yeah. Yeah, well, maybe I'd, they do use uh, Robert De Niro in their ads, so maybe they, uh, they maybe they'd spent the budget that Sam could have got. Well, so. blown the budget, and yeah, you know, Sam will go to an opening of a letter for anything, you know. You know <laughs> so, Ken, obviously, uh, your beer you mentioned there is called the Sheriff. Um, for people who don't know, because there are a few different theories here, why are you called the Sheriff? Well, Dwayne Peel uh, started calling me the Sheriff back in the day. Um, when uh, myself, uh, John and uh, Reese Priestley used to share lifts and they used to take great pleasure in jumping in the car on the way home and seeing my distraught mindset after having a tough day at the office of people ripping the ripping the mick out of me. So they used to enjoy that. Um, but now Peely started uh, calling me the sheriff. A um, couple of reasons. Well, I, can t- I, used to, I still can turn any conversation back to... Uh, Somebody in Carmarthen, or a story uh, about somebody in Carmarthen, um, and then if all my my grandparents were mayors and sheriffs of the Carmarthen uh, in years gone by, uh, so it sort of that added to the story as well. Then we thought you just used to drive around in your convertible around Carmarthen and acted like the sheriff. That's what we used to thought. Um, <laughs> but no, I think. Yeah, but you, you've actually had, like, um, official documentation, haven't you, or something? Uh, yeah, so, um, oh, what was it, about five, six years ago, I was I was a, along with my grandfather, who's passed away now, and uh, Delmi Thomas, and my and my godfather, Andrew Bassa, as well. We were, we were granted um, a town commendation for our services uh, uh, to the town, so um, I'm, I'm taking that as now I'm, I'm official sheriff. <laughs> The, the crime rate's gone down in Carmarthen since you've been in power, I've got to say. Yeah. You walk around with your badge on a Saturday night and you, you know what, you rule the roost, that's what he is. He's um, the king of Carmarthen. Yeah, I'd like to think so, but I'm sure my cousin Dave would, uh, you know, he, he'd claim that he, he runs most of uh, Carmarthen, uh, but, you know, he does live in Fantasyland most times, so most days. <laughs> As a former resident of Carmarthen or Carmarthenshire, if I'd only known this information when I lived there, I would have been, um, I, I basically would have phoned you to get any, out of any trouble that I'd ever got into if I'd known there, no, no, there was powers to be. Uh, yeah, the, a lot of them are in my head more than the official powers I got, to be completely honest with you, but uh, well, I'm sure I could pull some strings. You also played uh, rugby this weekend for Scarlets. A great win. You were away to Bath and um, yeah. fans were there. How good was that? Oh, honestly, it was like a, t- a cut totally different to the games we played this year and, and about a hundred times better. Just the interaction warming up. You could see, you know, fans getting their, um, you know, their pints before the game. They look the smiles on the faces and, just the noise, like even when you know, at the end, you know, 
they were all Bath supporters. But at the end of the game, when they're you know on our line, you could sense an atmosphere where yeah. you know previously there was just nothing. It was either like you know noise through speakers or anything. So. It, Honestly, it was so good, and um, you know, hopefully, you know, the opportunities for more fans to come back into crowds um, sooner rather than later. Because um, as rugby players, that's what you want to do. You know, um, like the the internationals this autumn was. It's just not the same. You know, it's it's the yeah. whole experience of you know the bus into Cardiff, fans coming out of the pubs to see the team come in, and you know, the stadium rocking and. Um, that's why we play the game and, um, you know, hopefully, you know, we can get um, the fans into, you know, enjoy this entertaining rugby. I know we spoke last time about how boring rugby is, but um, I got to say, watching the games on the weekend, it was pretty entertaining all round, really. Yeah, we were spoiled at the weekend. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, just a, a couple of other things before we move on. Uh, and I'm sure it's somebody who you both know and, and maybe played with over the years uh, earlier on. But um, Alex Popham, the, the news about the early onset of dementia, just a really uh, emotional interview with him and his wife. And I just wonder um, what your thoughts are on, on that. Ken, starting with you. Yes, yeah, it's, it's horrendous news. I was, uh, you know, played uh, a couple of seasons with um, uh, with Alex at the start of my career, and obviously my first game for the Scarlets was against um, Northampton, playing against Steve Thompson. I just think, you know, the mm. the news with them guys is, you know, it hits home. It's, it's part of the generation that I I played with, and it's uh, you know, it's really sad to see that what what they're going through now. Uh, just hopefully, as a rugby community, we can look after them and. And you know what they're going through and speaking up, you know, can uh, concussion protocols and everything, and you know the way things are dealt with is a lot better than what it was. Um, and hopefully, we can continue to make strides going forward. John, does it worry you as a player? It is. It's scary, um, but like I think, um, as Ken said, we've gone through and probably seen the protocols become very thorough um, and, you know, I think we have the best medical care that we can possibly get and um, down to, um, you know, independent doctors watching the game, flag, red flagging any suspicious like head contacts, anyone looking things. So there's so many eyes on it now and we we get very good care and, you know, we won't go back on the field until we're 100% right. So, I think at the moment, our, you know, our concussion protocols are, you know, very good and very thorough. But like, you know, what's, what, you know, Pops is going through, it's um, extremely sad and um, echo what Ken says. Hopefully the rugby community can, you know, support these guys, what they're going through. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. You know, that, that, that interview was, you know, hard hit, I have to say. Mm. Okay, let's move on to Rugby World Cup draw because that happened uh, this week, even though um, the Rugby World Cup is in three years' time. That always amazes me how early the draw for this Rugby World Cup is made because the landscape in rugby was different a year ago to what it is now and will be different again in three years' time. What do the players feel about that, John? I think um, you know, it's, it's a talking point. I think, um, you know, Boys will, you know, they're probably not looking at the World Cup yet, but I think, um, you know, coaches are probably already trying to prepare that, you know, what we're going to look at in three years' time or whatever. But, yeah, I don't know why they do it so early. Um, they probably always have when, you know, they stick to traditions. But I think, um, you know, from a Welsh point of view, it's like Groundhog Day all over again, you know. Uh, um, you know, I think we've had... Fiji in our group, the last five World Cups, and Australia the last three, I think. So, um, yeah, I think it's three, is it? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I think this yeah. will be the third time that you've yeah. had uh, Australia and Fiji. So it's basically been back to back, almost the same sides. No, I know. Yeah. I think it looks like as if it could end up with Georgia and Uruguay as well. So we could just, yeah. you know, same. Wales could be playing the same same group as uh, as last year. So. I think you know it is strange that they that they do it uh, three years out, but I suppose that's the tradition, and rugby doesn't like to move away from tradition too much. Um, but no, it's just exciting. It's you know it's, it's a build up, and people will, will be talking about mm. it for the next three years now and getting really excited. And I think um, you know for Wales, we'll probably be still having the same conversations as uh, as as there was leading up to the last World Cup. Yeah, if you look at Pool D, though, England, Japan, Argentina, Oceania 1 and Americas 2, that's 
that's a nice group for England, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think Andy would be pretty happy with that, um, for sure. Um, we can ask Jamie for his uh, honest opinion as well and whenever he's on next. But I think, you know, Argentina showed they've got some um, you know, definite um, cohesion in their team and they, they, they're threatening as well. And, you know, Japan, if they keep developing, you know, they could pose a threat as well. But I think... Um, as draws go, they'll be very happy with. Um, the, the one I'm looking forward to is probably the France-New Zealand uh, group. I think that um, that has fireworks written all over it. You know, I think it's... Yeah, um, Pule, New Zealand, France, Italy, America's one, and Africa one. So it's odd to think that France, how they're playing just now, are in the same, you know, as New Zealand. But um, I suppose that's the three years out, isn't it? But that'll be a good one. No, I think I'll be very similar to, you know, the, the build-up to the last World Cup with New Zealand and South Africa in the first game. I think if you're looking at uh, New Zealand, uh, France, you know, the way France have developed over the last couple of years and how they, they probably will continue to develop into the next World Cup, you know, playing New Zealand will be a, a massive game. you just got to feel a little bit sorry for for Italy. I think I've had, um, what was it, New Zealand in the last uh, seven out of the last ten World Cups or something. So you've got to feel a bit... A bit sorry for them, but you know they. I think they're developing, they're building something, so they'd be they'd be a match for for the sides in their pool there as well. And I think the teams will use. So the teams will use like you know if if Wales play uh, Australia in the autumn fixtures to be oh this is like a stepping stone for the World Cup. It's a marker, and um, you know coaches will use it as um, in the best way they can for getting the best out of their players. So it'll be um, intriguing like over the next few years when teams play each other, when you know the, the World Cup will be brought up in conversation, I'm sure. Which seems all the time. I mean, Scotland are in, a, in Pool B with Ireland again and uh, South Africa. So I like that everyone straight away was a bit like, this week, Scotland out, <laughs> giving them no hope whatsoever. But Scotland and Ireland just always seem to magnetise towards each other. I think the big one for Scotland is is taking that next step, you know, and winning a couple of them big matches they've been expected to win and they've they fought, fallen short. And I think if you're looking at a group of death, if, so to speak, that's probably one of them where you, you look at it, you know, South Africa, obviously uh, reigning world champions, but I'm sure Ireland will be pretty confident again the result there, as, as with South Africa, um, as with Scotland in beating South Africa because they've had a bit of success against them. Um, you know, at home especially. So it's going to be a, an interesting group, that one, especially with with what happened at the last World Cup, Scotland not getting through, and obviously Ireland um, uh, missing out in the quarterfinal again. So everybody love uh, some points to prove. And Ken, you mentioned uh, France earlier on. Are they the side that excite you the most just now in world rugby in terms of their progression? Oh, definitely. I think, uh, see, you know, they've... Uh, Developed, especially since the last World Cup, how they've they got like John said, real cohesion. Uh, they're pretty settled on their nine and ten, who are you know world class, simple as that. And then you look at, at their number two and two and three, you know, choices uh, that they, especially they've built over this Alton Nations Cup. I think they've had some perhaps dispute with their with their league and their and their clubs, but it's actually worked to their benefit. I think because I think you could argue they had a. a th- second or third string side out against England and, and push them all the way. So I think the way they're developing and how the autumn's gone for them, I think that, you know, they could, they've probably got a pool of, of almost 60 to 70 players that, that they can pick for their national squad. And I think going into a World Cup, you know, they, they'll be hugely confident, especially a home World Cup as well. Um, they'll be wanting to get a, a big performance there and, uh, and, the, and they've got the squad to do it as well. They won't have to travel away, so they'll be even happier. That's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that excuse going, what will we talk about in the media? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> um, yeah. That's the talking point. John, how does a coach, it's easy to say, you know, we're in a World Cup cycle, but I suppose there's always a World Cup cycle going on at some point. In terms of how players prepare, how coaches try and shape a side for three years' time, how does that work? Well, I think, you know, they probably, you know, a coach probably looks at a spine of their team that they, you know, see as, you know, they're nailed on starters. And then they look to create opportunity or blood in youngsters um, in and around that. And I think um, how they work that is difficult because there's obviously so much pressure on every games. And I think, um, 
you know, looking at the autumn for us was as a, a Welsh team, you know, you could see that Wayne has uh, taken the opportunity to blood in, expose boys to that test match level. And I think, you know, with one eye on the World Cup in 2023, you know, so I think um, it's, it's understanding the right time to do that, whether that be in uh, end of season tour when you go down south or um, in autumn games. But then, when a Six Nations comes around, that's like the business end of the season that everyone wants to win. And you'll see, um, you know, a coach going for his, his best 23 probably, you know, for every game then. So the opportunities are a bit less for new players. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it is a balancing act. Um, I can imagine being a tough one. And, um, yeah, thankfully I don't have to make those kind of decisions, but, um, yeah, no, it's, um, I can imagine it being, um, tough to decide when to expose certain players at certain times. And there also is this constant long-term plan, isn't there, Ken? And and that's not easy when you're trying out different things like Wayne Pivak has been doing, but then not getting the points on the board to win those matches. And then people keep saying, you know, you're losing matches, you're losing matches, when he says he's looking at the long-term plan. Yeah, it is tough, especially in Wales, you know, with the, with the success, you know, Gath's had over the last 10 or 12 years, it was always a, a tough act to follow. And it's like being uh, England's football manager, you know, the Welsh rugby coach in Wales is, is heavily scrutinised because results are expected. But I think, like John said, when you're in a, a World Cup uh, cycle, it you've, you've got to find a time to blood it. Um, I think Wayne's decided to do it a lot earlier in the cycle than, than perhaps other coaches would do it. And I think... You've definitely seen, well, for me, uh, from the outside looking in at, at the Welsh boys, a lot of players had a, a chance. Uh, some of it through uh, necessity with injuries and, and things like that, especially in the back row, a lot of young boys getting a chance. But you've seen how the boys have had that opportunity. The areas that perhaps have, have been a little bit inconsist- inconsistent will be easily fixed once that uh, continuity and selection gets, gets done. But boys have been exposed and they've seen what they need to work on you know, going forward to the World Cup in three years' time, uh, you know, and, and challenge people. And I think uh, Wales will be a lot better position come the 2023 World Cup for this autumn series because of uh, the players they've exposed, uh, what they've learned about individuals, what the individuals have learned, what they need to work on. And I, and I think uh, Wales is a good place. And I thought as the autumn series went on, there was definitely an, an improvement all the way through, you know, especially with a lot of the young boys getting more and more game time. So what's the atmosphere like um, on the inside? Because it's easy to to be on the outside and and look at um, the frustration in post match interviews and things like that. But you know you've you, you've been there. Yeah, look, it was it was a difficult um, you know autumn to begin with because um, we we're trying to develop a new style of play. Um, you know, the time we had together as a group at the start probably wasn't enough to get. Uh, familiarity with everything so we were probably a bit on the back foot to start with and I think what we we wanted to see was you know as we came into camp when we left camp there was improvements um, as individuals and as a team as well and I think you know we did get that from the last performance and you know against England you know we were in that arm wrestle but we just didn't quite have um, enough to get the result at the end of the game you know so it, it, it was it was frustrating, but I think the exposure to new players, the opportunities given and, you know, moving forward to the Six Nations, I think we'll be in a far better place, like Ken said, to, you know, launch to that next level. I think um, boys will understand the system we want to play defensively and in attack. And, you know, I think it is exciting, but I think is there has to be some sort of patience as well. And, you know, um, hopefully that... Um, teething process we've gone through now has has set us up to um to be competitive now come the Six Nations. And you've shown that you can be a ball carrying twelve inside centre crash <laughs> ball king as well, haven't you? So you've added some strings to your bow, which is great as well for for the national sport yeah. going forward. I thought that that my my career as a twelve had long gone to be honest. Um I, I it was funny when I spoke to you on the Friday to tell you that I wasn't playing. Um <laughs> 
you said as Steve called out the old call that when we played together, which I think took a couple of years off my career, really running that move. But um, no, it was it was good fun. I got to say at the time, but um, yeah, I don't want to be um, trucking it up too much. I got to say. A few weeks ago, Foxy, you said to Sean O'Brien that that Ireland was almost playing Leinster. When, the style of rugby. So Joe Schmidt went from Leinster, took exactly that same, implemented it into Ireland. Will we see what we saw with the Scarlets when when Pivac was there for Wales? Will it be almost that similar game pattern? I, yeah, I think so. I hope so because I think you know you, you look at that year we won the league with the Scarlets. I think um, we lost the first three or four games, Ken, um, mm. and there was there was real pressure and we weren't playing well and. Um, it took time for everyone to uh, understand and know their roles and get comfortable in that. And, you know, come after that Six Nations that year, we went on a run and I like, I've, I've never enjoyed myself playing that style of rugby before. And, you know, it just seemed to click and everyone was on the same page. And, you know, it was at times, you know, devastating to, uh, you know, against certain teams. And um, I think that's why, you know, we had to have that, process of getting boys accustomed to the style and then the you know it hopefully comes to fruition then when boys get more time at it it's, it's just difficult in, a, in an international camp you have two weeks before first game and time on your feet you don't want to be training for too long everything's measured that we're not doing too much or too little and yeah it is very difficult um so hopefully you know that that Autumn Nations Cup was a um, building block uh, for us to, you know, really um, launch ourselves um, to the team we want to be, really. And hopefully, you know, Ken comes back riding on his white horse and um, everything's A-OK, yeah. Um, no, but yeah, no, that. it's... Oh, we'll put you on a cow. No, a cow come in, yeah. Beer in hand. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Ken, it is a thankless task, isn't it? Following Warren Gatland, they didn't make it easy either. I think the Friday they announced that there's going to be Gatland Gate, and then, like, you know, 24 hours later, when PFAC's got to drive through it on the team bus. I mean, like, you know, that is the measure of the man he's following. No, it is. And, you know, um, Gat's had a, a long string of success. You know, he, he you know, Wales, we, we haven't, um, we'd had a, a disappointing World Cup uh, just before he took over, uh, knocked out in the group stages. So you know, Gats came in and and basically freshened freshened some things up. Uh, picked you know the Ospreys boys and and got a you know because the Ospreys were right at the top of the tree at that time in Welsh rugby and and got them playing some very good stuff for Test level, international, level, which brought a Grand Slam. And then he just kept developing and you know and brought success over. A, a decade or more. So, you know, for Wayne, it's going to be tough that he, he sees, you know, his vision for, for Wales and the, the way he wants Wales to play is slightly different. Like John said, it, now it was Wayne's third year at the Scarlet's when we ended up winning the league, but we'd be changed sort of our attack pattern that summer. And it was literally, it took us pretty much the whole season of playing week in, week out to that before we really, it became second nature to us. And, a test level is going to be very difficult to change a lot of things overnight, uh, and especially in the short periods we got. So the foundations are there. Um, it, it's just, like you said, patience and, and trying new players out and, and seeing what, what the, the, the depth of the squad is like going going through to the to 2023. And I think it is tough following in the footsteps of, of the coaches that have been before because of how successful they've been. But I think they've left uh, a pretty good legacy as well and left Wales in a really good place, uh, a starting point. And we can, we can just hopefully kick on from there uh, with the small changes Wayne wants to make. But like I said, it's going to take a, a little bit of time for, for everybody to get up to speed and, and really understand um, how the system, the pattern works. Yeah, like you know, when 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 you know when Gats came in, boys, the, the Welsh team got knocked out of the group stage of the World Cup, and you know Welsh rugby had never been at a lower point. People were saying so. Then Gats comes in at a point where the you know the only way is up essentially, where you know Wayne's come in at a you know where the team has been successful over the decade. We probably you know overachieved at times for you know the amount of players we have in Wales. Um, and, and the population or whatever, and the which is great. The people of Wales expect us to win more games, and 
Um, I think you're hopefully like a little bit of patience from the Welsh public and, you know, we're, we're working extremely hard. Don't worry about it. You know, <laughs> we'll, um, we'll get, um, you know, we'll get the train back on track now for sooner rather than later. So guys, a Rugby World Cup is uh, very often seen as a, a changing of the guard. Um, Wayne Pivak yesterday talked about Alan Wynne-Jones um, saying that, you know, if anybody can can get to a Rugby World Cup, it would be him. You certainly wouldn't rule him out or not if you ever wanted to uh, speak to him again. So do you think that, that 2023 is on Alan Wynne's radar? Is the kind of guy that looks ahead like that? I'm not sure if he's... he's... Whether he's looking that far ahead, I'm not sure. But one thing with Al, every session he he's always the the one who trains the hardest and, and goes the hardest and always wants to keep getting better. And I think I've never seen a, a guy who with that sort of mentality. So I'll be honest here: it's if he wants to get to that 2023 World Cup, then it wouldn't surprise me at all. And you, you have seen it yeah. done. Like so, Victor Matfield uh, done mm-hmm. it in 2015. He was still going strong. Uh, Rory Best at, at the last World Cup. So I would never discount Alan Wynne Jones. Like yeah, like you said, he sets standards in training. He doesn't. He doesn't say like oh, I'm just going to take my time today. He's the one that's driving the youngsters. Come on, compete with me. Take me on. And you know, I, I look at it sometimes. And I'm thinking I don't know how he does it. Um, but I think it's just the measure of the man. So I like, um, you know, if, if he has a desire, um, to keep pushing himself for a few more years and, um, yeah, I'm sure he'd be there or thereabouts. And it's, you know, it, the most important thing for him is probably has to be, you know, looked after. Um, and, you know, um, I'm sure the union will do everything they can to give him the best possible shot at it, really. Yeah, and there'll be other players like, you know, Johnny Sexton for Ireland in a similar situation. There is the carrot of the Lions next year. And then obviously 2023. Personally, from both of your points of view, um, you must have a, a sight certainly on Lions again. But what about 2023, John? Oh, uh, 2023. Um, you can it's take funny, two positions like, now as well. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm desirable now. Um, <laughs> I remember, I remember in, uh, Japan, um, going to the bus to the captain's run and, you know, Gats came and sat at the back and he was chatting to us and he goes, um, you know, this could be, you know, four years. How old are you, Foxy? And I was like, counting up. I was like, oh, 35, 36. And he goes, oh, probably a last World Cup game tomorrow then, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. And I, and I said, like, if I, I joked, if I'm still playing in 2023, then the WIU progression plan hasn't worked properly. <laughs> but um, look, I think, um, you know, if, if my body's feeling well and, you know, the, the coaching staff want me around, then, you know, I'd, I'd love to give it a crack. But, um, you know, I think um, at the moment it's... Um, one one or two months at a time, not uh, two, three years at a time. But, um, you know, I'd love to give it a crack, but um, it's all dependent on whether one, like the coaches, wants me around or um, my body will allow it, really. So um, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But I, I guarantee you, Ken, Ken's probably you know, going to be the, the demolition man. The demolition man. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. You know, I, it's, I want to say it's... it's the end goal, I think I'd love to go to another World Cup. Uh, a lot can happen in, in three years or so. Um, like I seen, I, I thought that I, as one of them players, never got injured and said, I'm never injured. And then next thing I know, I go and dislocate my AC joint. Oh. So I was a bit like, so you never know. Come on, what are you going to say, John? Come we on. were talking the, the morning of the Glasgow game, weren't we? We yeah. were in the hotel lobby <laughs> and it was me, you and my brother. And you know, we, were, we, were talk- yeah, we were talking and you know, we said, oh, fair play, Ken. You know, for the position you play, you don't often get injured. He's like, yeah, no, I've been pretty lucky. You know, fast forward about five, six hours. <laughs> you know, no. like, carted off like that. <laughs> Look at, oh, no, well. so it, that was a bit of a shock to the system. Um <laughs> Basically tried uh, taking a leaf out of Luke Cowan Dickey's book, which obviously I'm not that good at. I shouldn't, shouldn't be taking quick, uh, quick tap and goes five metres out. Um, but no, like I said, I know it's it's just one of them that I think after lockdown, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself in terms of trying to think about when I should retire, when I shouldn't retire and, and all the rest of it. And just sort of decided to whatever happens, happens, keep working hard, keep enjoying rugby. And then... If I'm good enough to be playing at the top level of the game, 
come 2023, then great. And if not, then, you know, it's not, it's not the end of the world. So, and it depends, like Foxy said, things change in rugby. Um, the coaches may decide to take a, a different route, um, you know, in the next, you know, come Six Nations maybe, or come, you know, next season or the season after, um, who knows? So you've just got to take it a sort of a campaign at a time, I suppose, and just keep enjoying the game and, um, and whatever happens, happens. Fingers crossed there's a group of us and they'll be calling us the Dad's Army in 2023 now. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, guys, there was some big news this week with the news that the South African winger, Apire Dianchi, has been banned for four years after using a performance-enhancing drug. Now, just to be clear, he appealed this and he says that he drank from a bottle of a friend during a gym session, but he has been banned. It's a story that has polarised a lot of ex-rugby players, uh, rugby fans in South Africa. He is a young guy with the world at his feet. Uh, Nobody can understand why he would do it. He was the World Rugby Breakthrough Player of the Year in 2018. Um, He has been caught, therefore he's taken the ban. he went to appeal and it, there, there was no proof that he, he hadn't taken it. Um, just tell us what the situation is. We know we hear about athletes. We hear about a lot of other different sportsmen. Is it the same in rugby? Is it WADA or, you know, do you have to explain to people where you're going and, you know, where you're going to be if somebody comes knocking at your door for, for testing in the, in the mornings and things? Well, it's, it's a pretty thorough process, really. Um, you know, uh, there's a thing called whereabouts where, um, certain uh, players have to give an hour of every single day where they're available to be tested. So I think mm-hmm. like a large majority of the boys put between six and seven at their homes because yeah. nine times out of the 10, they're in bed sleeping. Um, but um, and then obviously there's random testing in training, um, yeah. lots lots after games. Um, so that there is a really thorough process um, with the with the testing schedule. Um, if you go away, um, like even if you have your home as between six and seven, you decide to go away for the weekend or go on holiday, you have to let certain people know the change of address and everything. So. And, you know, that's that's probably where boys in the past, you hear boys getting um, banned because they don't make themselves available for testing is yeah. because they probably have three strikes or something like that. So it's, there's a lot there's a lot of hoops to uh, jump through, really, to make sure that you do everything right. But, um, you know, we have a lot of um, education on it and um, there's people in our union that, um, you know, are, are part of, um, UK sport to help us make sure that we're we're not messing up really and making sure that we're in the right place at the right time and you know there's you know it it's pretty thorough and you know it's um, the process has been developed over years really to get it um, as 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 good as it can be really yeah it's an interesting one because um, it's one of them people don't think that they actually will turn up when you're um, when you're away or and, and boys tend to forget to put where they actually are. So we get, um, Caroline works at the, at the union. If boys have gone away and they've put something on social media, she'd literally go, are you away? Cause you know, he's gone. And then, and two other boys will then update. But that's how simple it is. Cause I, I had it. I'd done all the pro, protocols, right? Sent, um, that I was going away for my stag do where I was staying with my hotel and, and everything. And, um, Thinking, no, they never, they won't turn up anyway. We got halfway up, and my best man said, "Oh, they've had to change the hotel." And I thought, oh, "I'll be all right." And um, lo and behold, next morning um, they they turned up at uh, at the hotel. Well, at the other hotel because we'd had a last minute change. So it's it's how easy it is, you know. Luckily enough, it was it was his one strike. I had I you know I'd never missed anything before, but. You, you do hear of athletes in other sports who've, who've been in different hotels or mm. haven't been where they said be, and they and they've been banned, you know, because they've missed three tests and and had three strikes. So it's it is a thorough process, which you understand, but it's how easy that it it you know it doesn't take much, you know, for it uh, to to go wrong as well. What could happen as well? Another instance is like you know you could have one of the boys 
go out um, after a big win, have a few too many beers, um, ends up back at his mate's house, uh, passed out, you know, drunk. And, you know, the drug tester turns up at his house where he's not and he has a strike, you know. It, it, yeah. um, you know, not, not talking from experience, but, um, you know, it, it's simple things like can like that happens. And, um, you know, it's, you will get punished if you're not if you're not um, you're on top of it really. And Dianchi says that he drank from the bottle of a friend during a gym session. So how careful do you have to be? Whether it be if you've got you know hay fever in the summer, you can't just pick up a tablet and take it because there's a list of prescribed medicines, isn't there? But how aware are you of everything that you put into your body from what you're eating to drinking and things like that, and, and knowing that it has been prepared for you? Okay. You've, you've you've got to be, and and first thing they tell us when we get the education pieces is um, you're responsible for everything that goes into your mouth. So you know we have nutritionists at, at the union at the Scarlets, and we've got complete trust in them. All the supplements we use are you know um, uh, tested and batch tested, and, and they're the best products possible. But even like like you said, in terms of medication, you've got to be so careful because you could you could went like a hay fever tablet in, in one country, but you could perhaps be on holiday and it's a, it's a different mixture within that product in Spain, for example. So, you know, you just, you have to be responsible for everything you're putting in your body and be confident that, that what you are taking, whether it be in, from a nutritional point of view, uh, simply down to, you know, a, a Gatorade or a, a Lucozy or something like that, a sports drink, to, you know, like a lemon sip or, a, or or something like that, that you you know exactly what's in there. You know there there is uh, stuff out there for for players to use. You've got a global draw that you can just sort of just tap it tap it in, and it'll instantly tell you whether it's 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 okay to use or not. But everything you take, you the responsibility comes down to you what you put into your body. And I think you know that's where you got to be so careful. And um and that, and that's that's what we're always told. It's you know, if somebody tells you to take something or you pick something up from somebody else, it's everything you put in your body is in your responsibility. Yeah, we just use the um, make sure everything is informed sports. That means everything is batch tested and is cleared in a laboratory. So, um, you know, for us, we're very fortunate that we have this education and we're told where we can go to check everything out. So, you know, it's, um, it's you know, for us, we're fortunate. So it's it's probably a difficult one to see where people, you know, slide down a slippery slope or go, you know, and get things wrong really, you know. So it's it is everything's laid like you know laid out for us to be um responsible in what we take then. But it's so easy to to get it wrong as well. You you can literally just be go go to your local gym, you know, for example, and, and do a session. You've forgotten your recovery shake or your protein shake at home and you just you just buy one off the shelf there. Now, if you're not sure where it's come from, you take it, and then you could you do end up with a four-year ban. So it's it's very simple, you know, how easy it is, and you don't know where perhaps these products are made and the cross contamination. You know, it could be made in a in a, a pharmaceutical, you know, plant or something like that. And it's even from not just from a drugs point of view, but from you know, if you've got allergies or something like that, you could you know pick up a protein shake that could have traces of nut in it or something like that. If you've got a nut allergy, then you know, you're going to you know, get seriously ill as well. So it's just how careful you got to be and as professional sportsmen. It's, it's our livelihood at the end of the day and you've got to be as careful as as possible and, 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 you know, just listen to the protocols and the education that's there. So when you get that knock on the door, whether it be in the middle of the night, first thing in the morning, in the afternoon, how does the conversation go? How do you know, first of all, it's the, the, the anti-doping team? Um, it, it's it's normally oh. off, off, let's say, because you're not again. That's how it normally goes when yeah. uh, when they show things. But I think you got tested recently, Ken, do you? Yeah, I got done uh, down at the Scarlet a couple of weeks ago. So to be fair, it's, you, if you've been around as long as I have, you tend to get get to know the the testers as well. So they they, they walk in and they and they instantly start apologising to you, and then you you have a bit of a laugh for them if you oh, I got. Look at the shape of me. There's no chance I've been on any performance enhancing drugs. And then you, you you get that sort of that sort of stuff out of the way. And it, it's it's pretty straightforward to be fair. It's, you know, you fill in some forms. Um, you do get some boys who try and wind them up a little bit and 
do all their recovery, all their meetings, and the, the, the guys just got to stand there and watch them while yeah. they do it. And but it's you know it's pretty straightforward. Fill some forms in, uh, ready to pee. So if anybody's listening and uh, needs to take a test, never rush it because you don't want to give a partial test. So you got to I think it's pee about ninety mil. So yeah, if you do that, something like that, is it? Uh, one fifty. But it's an absolute disaster if you if you don't get enough out because you've got to wait then and then retest it a bit. So it's make sure you can pee straight away. You get your 150 mil out, I think it is. And then you just take it into a... So obviously when you're in the toilet, you're ready to go. It's um, it's like four-year-old pee in. It's uh, T-shirt. Schoolboy pee yeah, in, isn't it? <laughs> it's T-shirt around the chin, shorts and pants down the, around the ankles and make sure you can see that it's... Uh, where it's coming out from, and then um, yeah, it's out into the into the room, uh, and then you're, you you pick a box, get given two two pots, uh, an A and a B sample. You fill it up. Uh, they they check for the specific gravity, make sure it's not you're not overly hydrated, and then uh, sign the form off, and then hopefully you don't hear nothing for for two days. Once you've gone past that two days, you're good to go then, and you know that uh, you've had a negative test. Some 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 tests are quite considerate as well. Like if you're in, um, you know, a disabled toilet, they'll like turn the tap on if you haven't yeah. gone yet, just to help you go. Like, you know, oh, cheers! Thank you very much for that. Um, but yeah, no, I, I know some players have made it um, quite awkward as well, where they've gone for a number two instead of yeah. just going for a pee. Like, so just. Uh, you know, get really down and personal with everyone. So, yeah, no, it's, um, you know, I think it's almost, you, you know, after, you've done it for a number of years. It just comes like, you know, the process. And um, like you said, it's the same faces that do the testing. It's just, um, it's just the in- inconvenience of it. Like, you know, at six in the morning, the last thing you want to be doing is, you know, it, bringing someone into your house to, you know, to watch you pee, you know. So it's, um, it's a time and a place. And, you know, it's, it's worse after what games. What about during lockdown? During lockdown, um, have people been going into the other to other houses, or is it do well, they go to obviously, train? I think for COVID there have been um, restrictions, but I think now yeah. that people people can come into your household for drug testing. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's you know, but the worst times after games because that's when oh, you're the most sure. dehydrated. Um, okay. So you, you just have to chuck the water down. You, know, I I, th- I always say like a couple of bottles of um, you know lager will help you be yeah. quicker. So. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a process that um, you know it's part of rugby, and if it keeps it, um, you know, it keeps it getting clean, this you know, it's, it's a good thing. And in many ways, for you guys at the top of your game, you do have nutritionists, as you say, and there are people there to help you. But when you look at the stats, um, particularly for players who are maybe you know, a couple, well, several levels below you. It's quite worrying. One On the the UK anti-doping website, it says there are currently 64 players who are serving doping bans, 27 of those from Rugby Union, 42%. So seven from Wales, three from Scotland, 17 from England. I mean, that must be quite concerning for rugby because there's obviously a drive as well for players to be bigger and, and you know, they're, therefore they're, they're, people are taking stuff to try and increase... Um, their, well, not skill set, but maybe their dominance when they tackle and things like that. But these people don't necessarily have anyone around them, or do they? Do all clubs advise? Does everyone basically know a right and wrong? I think the union would give some education, not as nowhere near the level that we get. But I think, you know, you, you look at the, some of the cases and like a lot of the, uh, not a lot, a few of the people that have been banned in Wales are recreational drugs. And yeah. Um, and some as well, the ones of uh, performing enhancing, you know, you could argue that, you know, I don't think your amateur rugby player is taking uh, performing enhancing drugs to be faster on the wing or, yeah. you know, stronger in the scrum. It's, I, I think it's sort of a vanity level. You know, they, they want to look good. You know, they want to be, you know, when you go on holiday, you have a photo on Instagram or whatever. You know, it, it's unfortunately that's the way it is at the moment is that how you, perceived on social media is is important for a lot of people and um how they put their image across i think that's where maybe some of the the players or an amateur level are being um tested positive because they're doing it for other benefits not 
performance on a rugby field, if you get me. You don't look bad on an Instagram photo with your top off, oh, John. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I work hard, though. I, uh, I work hard. But, so you know, it's it's, it, it's, yeah, but I think it is. It, it's, it's a difficult one. Um, you know, I think it's... It's obviously you know a hot topic at the moment um, with with the South African player, but you know it that twenty seven in rugby is a lot, and um, you know it'd be interesting to like to like to speak to these people, what drove them to actually take it, whether they were up and coming, wanted to get to a professional level, or was it? Oh, I'm I'm going to Ibiza in a, in a month's time, and I want to look good in in the beach clubs. You know, it's. Um, uh, it, it whatever drives certain individuals, um, but yeah, I think I think stats. You know, they they can they are pretty damning and don't and don't look great on rugby. But I think you know, looking at um, especially in Wales, some of the, the the levels of some of the players who've been banned play at. You know, it's a lot of it is is probably more recreational and and you know, like you said, like a vanity and, and looking good point of view, a cosmetic point of view, more than it being a, a performance Hansen you know, for sport. Um, but then, you know, you've got, you know, give them the education as well, uh, you know, for, for the health uh, implications that could potentially come from it as well. So for anybody who's been uh, watching and listening to these podcasts or any podcasts or any rugby programmes, there has been so much discussion about has rugby become boring. If you watched any of the European Champions Cup at the weekend, my goodness, we were blessed with some incredible tries, um, matches that had almost 90 points on the board. I think that's what Europe does. But Ken, you must have probably watched quite a lot of rugby over the weekend. It, it was a real treat, wasn't it? No, it was great. Um, I think uh, I tuned in for that uh, Bristol Claremont game at about yeah. 45, 50 minutes in, and the, the scoreboard was, I'm not sure where it was at that point, and then watched it till the end, and it was just, you know, 51, 31, or whatever it was. It was an absolutely yeah. phenomenal game of rugby to watch from, from both sides. And then, you know, it, it continued right throughout the weekend with the Scarlet's game. Obviously, watched that with great interest uh, for obvious reasons. and that had everything, had some great tries, you know, nail-biting finishes and, and and it was great to watch. And then obviously the Sunday you had a great performance by Exeter, reigning champions, you know, yeah. against, against Glasgow. I'm sure Hoggy and Johnny Gray would have been really happy with um, uh, putting the donut on uh, on their, on their yeah. own teammates. But, you know, it was, it was a great game of rugby and, you know, you've seen, you know, a couple of uh, great performances, Connaught going to, to Rastin yeah. and, and losing by a score. Uh, I, I, and it's great for the game, you know, especially, um, you know, everybody's been very critical of of rugby over the last couple of months. And I think, you know, Europe does bring out the best in, in teams and, and players. And, and we've seen that on the weekend. And it was it was just great to see that the boys were chucking the ball around and, and getting some, some smiles on faces as well. Nice yeah. for the backs that we're going over, John. Yeah, no, I think, um, like Ken said, you know, you always know it's a big week when those European balls are put on the training field. There's a big game coming on the weekend. Mm. And, um, you know, when the, when that music's playing before the game, it gets you excited. And, um, you know, it's, um, it, it was a great win for us. It's great to start yeah. off the European campaign with an away win. And, you know, it's something that, you know, we're building, you know, very nicely and Toulon on Friday. Um, you know, we, We've we've got a lot of European history with them, and I think um, we're excited for that challenge because you know they're um, uh, a powerful team um, with a lot of experience, and um, yeah, you know I think it was it was a great weekend of rugby, and after all the you know what's been said of late of how the game isn't entertaining, I think it was the perfect answer to um, to all those critics. It's maybe a, an odd thing to say when you've got Leinster and a Munster. Um, but do you think that, like, when Scarlets go to Bath or, you know, Glasgow to Exeter, maybe that's not a good example when you see the scoreline, but your Pro 14 teams are maybe seen as a little bit more of an underdog, particularly when you take on a premiership side. Do you feel that when you, when you go there, Jonathan? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, the premiership teams are held in such high regard. Uh, they think that the premiership is, um, you know, it's such a strong league. I think whenever um, you know a Pro 14 team goes up against a Premiership team, there's almost a point to prove. And um, you know, I think um, that was 
you know, might have been underlying in our mindset going to a big um, English club. But, you know, whoever we go up against, you know, we want to give a great account of ourselves. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be exactly the same now this Friday. And I think, um, you know, it's, um, it's very exciting. Yeah, I think for, for the Welsh clubs, it's especially for us at the Scarlets, Europe, we've got, we've got a lot of big history in, in Europe and some of, you know, our greatest days that our supporters I remember tend to be European games, especially against the big English clubs and the big French clubs, you know, getting a, a win away in Toulouse, you know, that's, that's talked about. And, and, and I think that's, that's what we get, especially for us as, as a Welsh, Welsh club. We perhaps are seen as underdogs, but we've, we've got huge history for, for our boys going to, to Bath on the weekend, you know, it was first game in Europe, uh, which is great. We've got some, Huge recent history against them as well, but you know the history with us and Bath goes back over uh, almost a hundred years. You know we played for the the Rag Doll. So you got that old sort of history and that old them old traditions that still come up in Europe that perhaps we we don't really see in the league as well. And it, and it's something different for us. You know we play against your Scottish teams, your Irish teams week in week out. So it's it's great to go and play against a different opposition and and enjoy it. But boys are saying you've got the rag doll in your bedroom as a teddy bear now for the for the next game. Is it? Yeah, it's it's in the house. It's in the house. <laughs> I'm, uh, I just got to find the jersey for it. Somebody's nicked the scarlet jersey. It must it must still be still up, be up in Bath, so I'm gonna have to find a little shirt for it to go on. But it's in the house now till um, till uh, till the next time we play Bath. <laughs> and, John, this, the way that this um, Champions Cup is shaped this year because it was all changed because of the rugby calendar needed to change because of the global pandemic, um, it does mean that every pool match matters. There's only four of them this time uh, and it, they carry a lot more consequence to, to, to get that start. It, it is great for you guys. Yeah, it was absolutely... Like everyone says, you know... Before the change of the competition was, you, you got to start well in Europe, and with only four games to get that, um, you know, away win was, you know, it's huge for us. And you know, we, we can't let this opportunity slip. Now we've got, um, you know, we respect Toulon. Um, we, you know, we we know what's coming with them this weekend. But I think you know we should go out there with an excitement, to, you know, to you know get a win and say that out loud that we, you know, we want to win this game and put ourselves in a place that we can really kick on and be, you know, playing for silverware come the end of the season. You know, it's um, it's, it's where this club, you know, deserves to be and wants to be. Ken, you can see how good the, those French teams were at the weekend, really, across the board. But maybe the fact that they didn't release their players for the last two rounds of Autumn Nations Cup because there was that thing with the union means that actually they've had a bit more time together. They seem, they all looked very cohesive. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a, there's a huge excitement uh, around French rugby at the moment, which comes down from the national squad. Uh, uh, you know, they've had their main internationals back for a you know longer period of time, so they've gelled pretty quick. Um, but I think you, you'll see that the the other other clubs would be better for for that you know time together this weekend. You've seen Leinster. You know they. They've integrated their internationals back slowly, and when they got a result out in Montpellier, but you know the, the French clubs have probably been haven't quite been there thereabouts for the last couple of years in in Europe, especially, and you're seeing a bit of a resurgence at, at that at the moment. I think that stems, you know, from the national squad down and, and the excitement that is around French rugby and building to, towards 2023 World Cup. But you know, to be fair, some of the performances the French clubs put in on the weekend was. Uh, some of it was was incredible, uh, but you know, for, for us from a scarlet's point of view, we we were disappointed uh, back in September, uh, missing out uh, in the Challenge Cup quarter final against them. Um, you know, we felt we almost done enough to win the game, but we, we didn't quite get across the line. So that's that's going given us huge confidence. They got a good result against Sale, and I'm just looking forward to uh, to the boys going out there quarter past five Friday night and uh, and putting a shift in and getting a, getting a result. And then hopefully, um, you know, we can enjoy the Christmas period then. Are you on the, are you going to be on the TV, Ken? You seem to know the exact timings of it all. <laughs> no, I, I only know because I checked. Live, live from 4.45, that's what yeah. you're going to be. <laughs> no, no, I'm, uh, I'm training in the morning and then it'll be a, a swift, yeah. swift drive home to, uh, to have a sit down and, and watch, uh, and watch the boys put a shift then. With a pint of sheriff. 
<laughs> I can't. Uh, I, I can't say. Can't deny that I that I uh, won't have a have a beer. <laughs> So we've finished where we've started. Um, guys, thank you very much. Go well this weekend. It's been great to have a, a Scarlets and, and Welsh pairing on after the Saris and English boys last week. And who will we get next week? Who only knows? Guys, thanks so much. And thanks to you at home for watching and to listening to House of Rugby. We'll see you next week. You've been listening to the House of Rugby Season 3 on Joe.